We have been truly blessed abundantly in Christ Jesus, have we? Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to be turning back to the book of Ruth, and we're going to be looking at Ruth chapter 2 this morning. Ruth chapter 2. Well, last time we looked in the book of Ruth, we saw that difficulties surrounded Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And we learned that when difficulties surround us, we need to turn to the God who will provide for us. We don't need to look to those greener grasses for satisfaction. No, we need to look to Jesus, who is the bread that came down from heaven and who will satisfy our eternal need of salvation. And also, like Ruth, we need to count the cost of what it means to follow God. She left her home and her family to go back to Israel and take care of her mother-in-law and follow the God of Naomi and of Israel. And so we too need to count the cost of what it means to follow our God. And we need to take the time to, take the, to count the cost of what it means to leave our own gods in our own life to follow the God-man, Christ Jesus. Well, we also learn that Jesus is the only hope. He is the Lord of the harvest. And not only is he stocking our shelves in the grocery stores, no, he has provided an eternal harvest of eternal life for those who would turn and trust in him. Well, we ended with Ruth and her mother-in-law leaving Moab and going back to Israel to Bethlehem, the house of bread, because she learned that God had visited his people and given them food. Well, they had, lost, they had lost Elimelech, Naomi's husband. Naomi lost her two sons. Ruth lost her husband after 10 years in Moab. And they're returning to Israel empty. And so we come to chapter 2 now. If there's a main idea I want you to take home today from Ruth chapter 2, it is this. The Lord provides for all who take refuge in him through his providence, his grace, and his steadfast love. Well, first we see that God provides for his people through providentially orchestrating all things to the outcome that he has chosen for his people. And this brings us to our first point this morning. God's providence. The Lord provides for all who take refuge through him, through his providence. We see this in verses 1 through 3. Let's go ahead and read. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of the grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Well, here in verse 1, the author right off the bat is telling us, listen in. We see that all the tension of loss and the need of redemption for Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth for their family, it's going to come through this man named Boaz, but Naomi and Ruth don't know it just yet. But the author is, is getting us 
on the same page as him, and he's telling us, listen in. He was a relative of, of Elimelech's. He's a, he's a kinsman of Ruth's father-in-law. And not only was he of the same clan, the author is telling us he was a worthy man. He was in, of a man of good character. He was wealthy. He had a prominent position in society. And so we see that this man Boaz, being one of the next related men to Elimelech, could save the family name and the inheritance that they're about to lose coming back to Israel. In verse 2, we see Ruth takes the initiative. You know, she knew she had to depend upon the owner of a field, his permission to go behind his workers and glean in that field. You know, for, for her, this was her trusting in the Lord. She was, she was taking a risk. You know, we found out in last, last time in chapter 1, this was a time during the judges. There wasn't a king in Israel. And so there was economic and spiritual unrest throughout the land. And there was longing for a king who would come and who, who would rule righteous and justly. So we see Ruth taking the initiative in an unknown land among unknown people. She wasn't going to let that stop her for making a place for herself in this new place for her. Now, what it means to glean in the fields. Gleaning was for the poor, the outcast, the needy, the orphans and widows who needed food. And it involved picking up ears of grain on the corners of the fields, even next to the property line. You know, the harvesters are commanded in Scripture not to harvest everything. No, leave the corners. Leave the grain next to the property line for those who need it. And they can come by and glean from it and gather from it and take what they need for provision for them. This was the Lord providing, yes, for the harvester, but for the outcast and the needy and the poor. And so as a sojourner in the land and as a widow... Ruth was doubly qualified to glean in the fields. But for these exact reasons, she was most vulnerable and could not count on the goodwill of the locals in the area unless she could glean among someone whom she found favor in. Well, in verse 3, we see that Ruth waited until the reapers had, had harvested and left and she came in behind them and started gleaning from the, the barley harvest there. And in Hebrew, in, that, in verse 3 there, in Hebrew, the author is literally saying her chance chanced upon to come into the same field that Boaz was working in. Boaz's workers. And so she just happened to come into a field belonging to Boaz, this man that the author has already brought forth to us as a man who could possibly redeem her family. You see, God was providentially working together what they needed to bring Ruth redemption to her family. This is providential in two ways I would like you to see. First, Ruth's wish to find favor in a man's eyes to glean after his workers would be accomplished through Boaz. Boaz was preparing, God was preparing Boaz's heart to help Ruth. And secondly, Boaz happened to be from the same clan as Elimelech, her father-in-law. And so you see God's provision all over this. She, he, she didn't just 
chance upon chancing. She just didn't happen. No, God was in these little things that look like chance. And we see that Boaz, he was this gracious, near kinsman that Ruth and Naomi were looking for. Well, yesterday, I planned to have breakfast with my two sisters. I planned to have, of course, good coffee, but I planned to make and eat super fluffy blueberry pancakes. Now, I went over to my sister's, and I'm gathering all the ingredients, you know, out of her cupboards, her cabinets. I'm putting all the ingredients in the mixing bowl. I'm whisking away, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I didn't have to wonder where, you know, the, uh, the eggs were, or the flour, you know, or the blueberries, or the baking powder. At some point in time, my sister had bought the ingredients. She just happened to have the blueberries. She happened to have the baking powder and the eggs. Well, if it were not for God orchestrating to bring Ruth from Moab to Bethlehem in Israel, to the field belonging to Boaz, who is a kinsman of Elimelech, there would not have come a King David, that king that Ruth is on the hills coming after the book of Judges. The book of Judges is is there to show us we're longing for a king that God would bring his people. And Ruth, the story of Ruth, is God's providence of how he's going to bring that king. And so there would not be a King David. And there would not be a descendant of David, King Jesus. There would not be a baby Jesus in that manger if God was not orchestrating and providentially bringing all this together. Well, dear Christian... Nothing happens at random for God. God is working just as much with his strong right arm when it seems apparent as when his strong right arm seems hidden. God is just as much at work in bringing down the mighty walls of Jericho as he is in the poor little widow crossing a barley field. God is just as much at work in parting the Red Sea so that the nation of Israel, the Hebrews, could walk on dry ground. Just as much as he is in a mother parting her daughter's hair before sending her to school. And God is just as much working when placing a president in Oval Office during election season as he is when you're working in your office from home during the virus season. Friends, this truth ought to bring us joy because for us and to praise our God because he is working all things to good for our good to those whom he has called and, and given us a great salvation. May we glorify his name for his provision. Well, not only does the Lord provide for us who take refuge in him through his provision and his providence, but also through being gracious. This brings us to point number two this morning. The Lord provides for all who take refuge in him through his grace. We see this in verses 4 to 16. Well, in verse 4 we read, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to his reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. You see, Boaz, the owner of the fields, came, and the first thing on his lips was of God. He was blessing his workers. You can imagine the wind carrying the voice over the barley fields. The Lord be with you. 
And then from different spots popping up from within the field, you hear, and the Lord be with you. God was with Boaz and was with his work and his workers. God was blessing their work and their endeavor and their livelihood. You see, the workers recognize that God makes their lives fruitful, their work fruitful. And Boaz here, as we have seen in verse 1, being a worthy man, here in verse 4, we see him living that out. He was a worthy man. He was putting God first in his work. Well, in verse 5, look what he says in verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? You know, Boaz saw Ruth out there in his field. And he's wondering, not who is this young woman, but he says, whose is this young woman? Who does she belong to? Whose daughter is she? Whose wife is she? Whose sister is she? He wants to know, who is this in his field, this stranger? And Boaz seeks to know who she is and where she's come from. And look at verse 6. The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. You see, Ruth was so intimately tied with Naomi that Boaz and his foreman of the field were seeing Ruth as coming back to Bethlehem. She wasn't from Bethlehem, but she's so tied up with Naomi that they're seen as a package deal. And then in verse 7, Ruth said to the foreman of the field, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, he said, and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. You see, Ruth shows courtesy by asking permission to glean in Boaz's field, which it was her legal right. She was a widow. She was a stranger. And Deuteronomy 24:19 and the Old Testament law says this, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And so here the harvesters were supposed to allow the poor to pick up grain that fell during their harvesting practices. And Ruth, having the right to do so, she still asks for permission. We'll look at verses 8 and 9, what Boaz says. He says, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. It's like if you're standing there watching the scene, you can see Boaz is telling her, don't glean in any other field, stay here in my field. I'll take care of you. And when you see my workers go to another field that I own, follow closely behind them. I'll provide for you. I'll watch over you. And hey, if you get thirsty when you're gleaning throughout the day, my young men have prepared and drawn water already. Go grab one that they've prepared and refresh yourself. Follow my young workers because I want to protect and provide for you. Don't look anywhere else. You see, normally foreigners would draw for the Israelites, draw water. And normally women would draw for men. 
And so by Boaz saying, hey, my men have drawn for you. My men will provide for you. Ultimately, I'm providing for you. Boaz is going extraordinarily over the top to provide for Ruth. He's going way over the minimum qualifications of the law. Well, look what Ruth does in verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. And she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? You see, Ruth says that she's a foreigner. But Boaz doesn't see her as a foreigner. He's elevating her to a sojourner because she's tied to Naomi. And we saw in chapter 1 that Naomi, her mother-in-law, was a sojourner in Moab. And so by virtue of being in relation to Naomi, Ruth is a sojourner too. But another thing I want you to see is that Boaz is not seeing her social status as a foreigner. He's seeing her need. She is a poor widow in need of food, and he meets that need. He wants to help her, not see her for someone who was outside of the rights and privileges of Israel and sojourners in Israel. No, he wanted to meet her for her need. And because Ruth's loyalty to Naomi, who sojourned for food, Ruth is seen as a fellow sojourner as well. And look at verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to people that you did not know before. You see, Boaz explains that he's fully aware that everything Ruth went through when she was in Moab, all that she lost, how she left her family, her comfort, and her gods to follow Naomi, her mother-in-law, and to follow the God of Israel. You see, Boaz was fundamentally a good man of noble character, we saw, and he embodied the standards of covenant faithfulness to Ruth. Ruth expressed she wanted to glean behind a man she would find favor with, and Boaz was an answer to that desire. Boaz was kind to her because God had prepared his heart for her. Well, we see that Boaz is going to be the one that the Lord uses to repay Ruth. Verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. You see, only the Lord could repay her for her loss. And so Boaz, he uses this beautiful imagery found in Scripture of resting under the wings of the Lord. And so Boaz imagines Yahweh, the God of Israel, who created the heavens and the earth, spreading out his wings, his strong right arms over Ruth to protect her, to guard her, to provide for her. And he says that Ruth has come to take refuge under the wings of the Lord. 
So both the blessing and the reward given to Ruth by God was ultimately actually going to be given to her through Boaz. We're going to find out, folks, that Boaz, when he spreads his wings over Ruth, is going to be the answer to Boaz's uh, prayer that God would bless Ruth. You know, sometimes God uses us to answer someone else's prayer. Just the other day, a coworker of mine mentioned that he was praying early in the morning that he needed more hours to work. And right when he finished saying amen, he got a phone call. And he got called in and asked, hey, do you want to come in on your day off and work some more hours? Answered a prayer. Folks, God will use us to answer someone else's prayer as well. Well, Ruth, she humbly, she humbly attributes the status of servant to herself. But Boaz is lifting her from that servant status to be a sojourner. And really, he's elevating her to a status as one who is a citizen of Israel, as a citizen whom God, the Lord Yahweh, is spreading his strong right wings over to protect and to provide for. You see, there's no more fear or anxiety now for Ruth. She took that risk to go out in that field that day. But after seeing the kindness and provision and grace of Boaz toward her, she says she's not fearful anymore. No more anxiety. She's going to find food today. Boaz has offered not only the corners of his field and the property lines of his field for her to glean in, but he's given her free water that's already been drawn. And look at verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. You see, Boaz invites Ruth to come to the midday meal. He didn't have to let a stranger come eat with him, but he did. He didn't have to personally give her roasted grain from his own field, but he did. And not only did he feed her, he fed her so well that she was satisfied and she had some left over. You know, that reminds us of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men in a crowd. 5,000 men plus women and children. And when Jesus had satisfied that crowd, his 12 disciples still had full, overflowing baskets full of bread and fish. You see, just as Jesus provided for that large crowd, in abundance, Boaz is abundantly providing for Ruth. We'll look at verses 15 and 16. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull some out from the bundles for her that you've already gathered, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. You see, not only is is she gleaning and Boaz is filled, but he's saying, hey, drop some on the ground for her to pick up. Hey, those bundles you got in your arms, give her some of those. And don't reproach her. Boaz is abundantly providing for Ruth. And so much so that she's going to take it home to Naomi, her mother-in-law, and they're both going to be fed and satisfied. You know, the amount of grace that Boaz is showing to Ruth right here, it's like when you have that new a little puppy out in your backyard 
and it's time to bring him back in, put him in his crate, and you're trying to get him to come in the door, and you start dropping these little trail of uh, dog food for him to follow. That's like Boaz in his own field abundantly providing to Ruth. He's leaving a trail and stacks of barley wheat so that Ruth can follow it and pick it up. She's not doing the hard work of gleaning. She's literally picking up piles that Boaz's workers are laying down for her. She didn't deserve it, but she followed that trail of grace being laid out in front of her. Well, friends, are we showing grace to the foreigner in our fields? Regardless of where we each stand politically when it comes to immigration policies, are we showing grace to those who would not call this place their home? Are we being welcoming to those who are coming from other countries? Just as Boaz showed grace and welcomed Ruth, who was a stranger in a foreign land, may we welcome immigrants and foreigners and widows and orphans and strangers and those in need who are among us. This might look like visiting your new neighbor and bringing them one of your famous home-cooked dishes and welcoming them to the neighborhood. For those of you who watch your kids, it might be when you're out in the park inviting uh, an immigrant's family children to play with your kids, being welcoming. You see, there are ways we can be showing grace to those that God brings into our lives. Well, not only does the Lord provide for all those who take refuge in him through his providence and his grace, but also through his steadfast love. And that's our third point this morning. The Lord provides for, and provides for all who take refuge in him through his steadfast love. We see this in 17 to 23. You see, in verse 18, it says, She took up and went into the city, her mother-in-law, what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left after being satisfied. So Ruth had beaten out everything she had gathered. And what does it say in 17 about an ephah of barley? That's almost a whole bushel. And roughly, folks, that's about 30 pounds of barley. Ruth gleaned about 30 pounds of barley, carried that all the way back into town, came, walked in the door, and Naomi saw what she was holding. 30 pounds of barley and leftover food from the midday meal. And what is Naomi's response in verse 19? Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. You see, Naomi didn't didn't, uh, care for Ruth in that moment. She didn't say, Oh, how did your gleaning go today? Oh, you look tired. Here, sit down for a second. Take a load off your feet. She saw that 30 pound of barley and she said, Where did you glean today? Who took notice of you? Well, folks... Where have we taken in God's steadfast love in our lives today? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Where have we taken hold of God's steadfast love? What is something that he has set before us to take hold of, to show his provision for us? What is a promise from his word that we can trust in? What kindness has God shown us today that we can thank him for? 
You see, God has left many provisions in the corner of our lives and on the pages of his word. Can you see them, take hold of them, and thank God for them? Well, verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She's thinking of herself and Ruth and the dead being their dead husbands and her dead sons. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. You see, God's kindness and provision towards her through Boaz, Naomi saw that now. Remember back in chapter 1, Naomi said, Call me bitter. Not Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Naomi felt very bitterly that God had dealt bitterly with her, but now when she saw it took a 30-pound bag of barley in Ruth's hands for her to realize God's steadfast love never left her at all. God was providing for her and her family. Yeah, it took a, a large amount of barley for her to see it, but she's recognizing that now, and she's blessing the Lord and Boaz for providing for them. What a kindness. She now sees that the Lord's kindness had never left her at all. Oh, dear Christian, this morning, have you recognized that God's steadfast love has never left you at all? If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, then God's steadfast love has been shown to you, and he will never forsake you. His steadfast love has been shown in Jesus' perfect life that he lived for you. It has been shown to you in the sacrificial death on the cross which made atonement for your sin. It was shown in God raising him from the dead three days later, showing that he accepted Jesus' sacrifice as paying penalty for sin. You see, God has set his steadfast love upon all those whom Christ died for. In the event of the cross... God has effectively redeemed his people and removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Christ's death was an actual atonement and an act of divine justice on behalf of us so that he might bring us to God. You know, the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that turns our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh upon hearing the word of Christ, we hear it and we believe. And it turns into repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. That is a kindness and steadfast love of God on our behalf. And folks, because of the cross, the cross work of Jesus, there is now no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because of his cross work accomplishing redemption in our lives, we will persevere till the day of our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. We won't lose this great salvation this great steadfast love that he has laid upon us will remain upon us until we see him face to face. That is our glorious hope this morning. So, dear Christian, recognize this morning that God has blessed us in Christ Jesus and his steadfast love endures forever. If you do not consider yourself a Christian here this morning... Would you repent of living for yourself and turn to this great God who paid the penalty for your sin so that you may be forgiven and looked as righteous in his sight? Turn and trust in this God who is working all things together for your good. 
He was showing grace and steadfast love to thousands. Well, Naomi also says this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And so when Naomi mentions that Boaz is one of her redeemers, she's recognizing that Boaz can potentially redeem her and Ruth and their family name. They're about to lose their inheritance with no sons uh, to carry on that inheritance. Well, the happenstance of Ruth stumbling into that field is no more seen to be one of chance. No, Boaz is one of the redeemers. We can see God's providence already coming, coming along. We can see it connecting dots. Well, in Matthew, a few weeks back, we saw Jesus comes from the lineage of Ruth and Boaz. You see, he's work, working all things together. It was his plan that Jesus would come from Ruth and Boaz, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be crucified, and that he would save his people from their sins. Boaz here is a foreshadowing of King Jesus who was to come. For our last two verses, 21-23. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. You see, Naomi tells Ruth it's good that she is gleaning with Boaz's workers, lest in any other field she would be assaulted. You see, Boaz is a great reminder of what biblical manhood should look like. We get a real insight of how men should treat women. Men have, given, have been given a disposition by God in Genesis chapter 2 to protect and to provide. Just like Boaz looked out for Ruth, men, do you have a genuine care for our sisters in Christ? Our sisters at, here at Emmanuel. You see, we must view women as made in the image of God with equal dignity, equal value, equal worth. And so friends, ignorance is not always bliss. We need to be a church that recognizes that real abuse does happen. Abuse does take place in churches. Boaz understood this in his time, and he took the necessary majors to take care of Ruth, one who was vulnerable in that society. And so Emmanuel should be a safe field for women to glean in. Emmanuel should be that safe place where women can come and voice their concerns if they feel unsafe. You know, how can we provide for our sisters here? Well, that may look like mowing or raking a sister's yard if she can't get out to do it. It may be going on a grocery run for someone who can't do that, for one of our homebound members. You know, we can protect and provide for our sisters in Christ and cultivate a safe place here where our sisters can voice with Ruth, as she did to Boaz, you have comforted me and you have spoken kindly to me. Well, Boaz's initial special treatment to Ruth will last for a few months, both barley and wheat harvests. You know, Boaz is providing economically for Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth, but he hasn't provided that redemption that they need for their family name and inheritance. Not yet. 
And so we come to the end of the chapter and we see that what is Boaz going to do? Is he going to help them? He can. The, the, all the dots are connecting. God's providentially working all things. So what's going to happen next? We're left waiting and wondering what will happen next. One conclusion, friends. I hope that this chapter has encouraged you to take hold of the truth that God provides for all those who take refuge in him. And he does that by providentially orchestrating all things for our good and for his glory. He does that by lavishing grace upon grace in our lives. And he is showing us steadfast love that will never leave us or forsake us. And ultimately, folks, he has shown his steadfast love in his son, Jesus Christ, who made atonement for our sins. Have you taken refuge in this God this morning? Do you know this sovereign, gracious, and kind and steadfast love God this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we praise your name this morning that, God, you, you're working all things for our good. You love us. You show us grace each day. You lavish us with your love, especially in providing a great salvation in your son, Jesus. So, Lord, as Emmanuel Baptist Church, may we look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. May we trust in you that you're never going to leave us or forsake us. You're always going to be there, and we can count on you to provide for us and to accomplish your great salvation, which we look forward to see you face-to-face at the day of our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Stand with us as we sing a response song.